and welcome to episode 232 of SMARTS, which, as you know, stands for... Sazabi Besser Ashimer Rakarl Tatuga Sadasud. This is why I do the acronyms. <laughs> what is that? What is that chaos? Okay, here to explain that stream of consciousness is Tedor, a.k.a. Rudiger Q, podcaster. I totally called you Tedor. <laughs> Hello. Hi. And I am Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, Dash Podcaster. <laughs> ready for the news? Yes, ready. Okay. I can't so believe we have news. The news are... the first news item is that we have news. That's right. Yes. The second news item, yes. which is actually the first news item. Yes. Um, is that HBO Max, Warner Media's upcoming streaming service, which just announced that they're going to launch on May twenty seventh, mm-hmm. has announced that they have reached a deal with JJ Abrams to produce not 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 one but two but thrice no, no, no. new TV series for them, one of which will be an adaptation of Justice League Dark. Oh, so <gasps> HBO Max is going to have not only the live action Green Lantern show we've talked about before and the live action Strange Adventures Adam Strange sci fi uh, anthology show, but mm-hmm. also a Justice League Dark show. Mm-hmm. So this could be, who knows? I mean, we already have we had a Swamp Thing show. We kind of already have Constantine. Mm-hmm. Would they double up on some of those characters, or would they focus more on characters like Dead Man, Zatanna, mm-hmm. Black Orchid, I, I Vampire, maybe um, maybe Frankenstein mm-hmm. was in there, has been in there at times. Um, yeah. Well. So that's exciting. Yeah. J.J. Abrams, not necessarily the most popular guy in the world right now, but yeah, but, gen- but, gen- to say. but generally he sets the shows that he is involved in creating. Yeah. have turned out really well. You know, I know. Lost, yeah. Alias, Felicity, Fringe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's one thing. So uh, Disney also announced that the final episode of the Clone Wars, instead of going up on its usual Friday date, will mm-hmm. go up several days early for May the fourth. Oh, which awesome! Is a Monday, so okay. we'll only have to wait three days in between the penultimate episode and the final episode. Okay. And also on the same day that the final episode goes up, they will begin a new series, which is a um, something like a six-part uh, behind-the-scenes look at The Mandalorian. Oh, cool. So, so it's produced by Jon Favreau, and every episode will focus on new behind-the-scenes aspects of The Mandalorian. That's very, very cool. And that show having such a unique production mm-hmm. um, methodology probably is a lot of ground to cover there. Yeah. So that'll be something else to keep people, you know, Firing it up once a week once the Clone Wars ends. Wow. And they, it's smart of them to drop it on the same day as the Clone Wars ends also. Yeah. It's May the 4th and you have two two Star Wars things to look forward to. Um, there's some DC news this week. So DC announced that they are going to be resuming publication of new comics but with a bit of a twist. So they haven't published new weekly comics in about a month mm-hmm. since, the shut, since Diamond, the only, basically the exclusive comic book distributor for North America at least. Although I think only America? I'm not sure if Canada has a separate one or not. Um, announced that they would be shutting down mm-hmm. because of the quarantine. So no new comics, shipping to stores. And they just they made the decision, although they never actually announced it, they just sort of let it lapse, mm-hmm. that no new comics would be published digitally either so that digital readers wouldn't be getting ahead of the print readers. Right. They announced, though, that starting on April 28th, which is a Tuesday, not a Wednesday, a week from when we're recording this, Mm -hmm. that they will be gradually starting to roll out new weekly comics Mm -hmm. or monthly comics, but, you know, once a week as as before. So in a week, we'll get a new issue of The Dreaming. And in addition to a couple of other like reprints and other things in the week after that, there'll be four or five new comics the Mm -hmm. week after that. So I think the plan is that by 
over the course of the next month, month and a half, mm-hmm. they'll have ramped back up to their usual pace of, you know, 10 to 15 new comics a week. Um, but the way that they're doing this and, you know, the, the inside baseball stuff is perhaps less interesting, but it seems like they're partnering with a bunch of like up and coming distributors mm-hmm. to get comics to the retail stores, some of which are remaining open, doing like curbside pickup or things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are still ways for people to to patronize their local comic book stores and DC wants those stores to have new product to give to their customers so they don't go out of business. Yeah. So they're sort of beginning this phased reintroduction of monthly comics. Um, but on Tuesdays, which is interesting, whether that's because that's just logistically what these different distributors are geared up for mm-hmm. or whether they want to, I don't know, get a get a lead on everybody else that's still releasing Wednesdays. I mean, there was a movement a while ago to try to get new comic book day moved to Tuesdays because Tuesday is the day that most other new media rolls out. It's when new albums come out. It's when, what else? New, it's generally when new things hit iTunes, like new movies and TV shows, digital releases. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, music. It's it's generally when like new media rolls out. Mm-hmm. Um, video games, I think you are sometimes Tuesday, but video games are all over the place. There was a movement for it. It never really went anywhere. But if, if DC is moving to Tuesdays, I don't know if it's just a temporary thing until Diamond is back up and running or whether it'll be a permanent thing. And mm-hmm. if it's permanent for them, it might push the entire industry to move to Tuesdays to, to match it. So that would be interesting. And then a few days later, they announced a separate initiative. DC has had these digital first titles for going back years. I don't remember. I can remember what the very first one was. No, the earliest ones that I can remember were like um, sort of like um, side stories to TV series that happened to be running at the time. So there was like an Arrow digital series that told stories like in between seasons seasons two and three Mm -hmm. and a Flash series, which was confusingly titled season zero, even though they were stories that took place in amongst the season one episodes. Mm -hmm. Then there was Smallville season 11, which was which was great. There's been Teen Titans Go comics for a long time. There's this the current Batman The Adventures Continue series that we read. For a while there, there was, and of course, Injustice mm-hmm. was digital first through its whole run. For a while there, DC was publishing a new digital first title weekly on pretty much every day of the week, mm. um, at least pretty much every weekday. But it's kind of lain fallow for a while, and now they've got Batman The Adventures Continue, and every so often there's a new Teen Titans Go sort of miniseries that does digital first, but... They've announced, and sort of as a way to fill the gap until the regular monthly titles are back up to full speed, that they're announcing a new digital initiative, which actually started yesterday. You remember, you know, Superman Up in the Sky, Batman yeah. Universe. Um, let's see if I can do all four. Titans, Burning Rage, and Wonder Woman Come Back to Me. I think those were the four. Um, that were the Walmart exclusive mm-hmm. series that mm-hmm. then sort of got... Um, put two per issue and released as like 40 page or 30 page or whatever issues monthly to collect the Walmart Walmart exclusive stories. Mm-hmm. Well, DC's been doing other Walmart exclusive stories and these sort of giant issues that haven't made their way to digital or to regular comic book stories yet. And people thought, well, you know, it'll be a while before that happens, just like those other series took a while to be released. But they're getting an early start on it and they're starting to release those series digital first you know, no print issues yet. Um, once once a week, pretty much every day of the week. Mm-hmm. So six or seven, I'm not sure if it was all seven days. It might have only been six days a week. But 
Um, six or seven days a week, you will get a new issue of one of these series. So the new Superman series is every Monday. The new Batman series is every Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And for the next month or two, until they've gone through all the Walmart material, you'll get a new issue of each of these series once a week. Mm -hmm. So even though it could be a month or two before you're getting 10 or 12 new DC titles a month, mm -hmm. if you want to read some or all of these titles, you're getting five, six titles a week right there. Mm -hmm. And these are not like no name titles this is the equivalent of like you know i would argue to a slightly lesser degree but on the same level as when as tom king on superman up in the sky or bendis on batman universe um jim lee and brad Meltzer are doing some of the batman stuff uh steve orlando i think who, who we've always liked his stuff um is doing i think the aquaman's the aquaman one uh gail simone is working on one of them i can't remember which one that was anyway i've i've of them all, all of them pretty much look like they're up our alley except for one which is a tie into the DC Superhero Girls franchise, mm -hmm. which is sort of for younger readers. Um, so yeah, I think that we should uh, we should jump onto these because otherwise we're only going to have one to three co new comics a week for the next month or so. Yeah. This will help fill the gap. And they're, you know, you'll get one a week, so you won't have to wait very long. Even when we were reading those, Superman Up in the Sky, Batman Universe, they would publish them as like a regular monthly thing. Mm -hmm. So we'd have to wait a month in between. But this is only waiting a week mm -hmm. for the equivalent of a whole monthly issue's worth of pages. Yeah. So it's a really accelerated pace to release them too. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a good idea. I don't know how long they've been planning to do this, but it's a good idea to have new digital stuff out there that's not really going to step on the toes of the retail stores because this is product they weren't really expecting right. to have anyway. Right. And at the same time, they can say, look, we're, we're going to these extraordinary lengths to get you new monthly issues starting next week. Right. Even at the risk of potentially angering like the big distributor, which has up to now been the exclusive purveyor of our product. Right. Um, it's, you know, so hopefully you won't mind if we also have this digital stuff which will eventually get collected into print anyway but the digital people will have an exclusive on it for the next few months or whatever yep so it's kind of a good way of balancing both so i think it's kind of smart the way they're doing it and no, none of the other big companies have announced anything like anything like this no new um you know large amount of digital first content and no plans until diamond is back up and running to get any sort of new monthly comics to stores yeah. so dc is sort of ahead of the curve on both of these well so it's, it's good because we'll get you know new stuff to read without having to wait another month or however much longer this lasts yeah i hope that's that's really nice news that's great yep and that's it for our news okay so we have no new comics to talk about yeah so we should just go straight into your quiz okay i'm ready okay so this week i'm going to be quizzing you about mobile suit affiliations Oh, Lord. So I am going to name the model of a mobile suit, and okay. you need to tell me which faction it was affiliated with. I For example, if I were to say the Zeta Gundam, you would say... The Federation? Ayug. Oh. Right? Okay. Because they were technically they were fighting the Federation, remember. Right. Right? See, I would fail. Or if I were to say Zaku, you would say... The Zeon? Correct. Okay. <laughs> dot, 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 question mark? Yeah. Okay. Not, if you are no, unsure, I don't know. About, you got me second guessing. If you're unsure about the Zaku, this is going to be. Oh well, I probably should have used a different <laughs> number one. The Zaku. <laughs> Yay! I got it. What? I got it. Say it again for the for posterity. For posterity, I say again, Zion. Correct. All right. Number two. Uh -huh. The GM. Federation. Correct. Okay. Number three. The Gelgoog. Uh, Zion. Correct. Okay. Number four. Uh -huh. The Methus. Um, Aug? Correct, because who piloted that one? That was Rikoa, before she uh, defected. No, um, 
perhaps at times, I'm most aso- closely associated with Fa. Fa was the one that was probably oh, okay. by the end anyway. All right, number five, the Psycho Gundam. Sion? Um, no. Titans. Correct. Titans. Okay. I'll give you that. I'll give that one to you because I think you. I think they you sort knew, of splintered it one. off. Yeah. All right. Number six. Kubali. Oh, that's Haman Karn, and she is looking for uh, love in all the wrong places. <laughs> I know. No, she's looking to the Zabi family. So Zion. Right. More specifically, which which faction of Zion? New Zion. Neo Zion, or I'm looking for the location, big asteroid base. Um, what was the faction generally called if they weren't called Xeon? So it's with an A. Asteroid 2? I don't know. Second letter X. Axis. Right. Everyone oh. would just say, they would just call them Axis by and large, right? Oh, okay. All right. All right. Number seven. Palace Athena. Uh, oh. It's getting more obscure now. Yeah. Um, Palace Athena? I feel like... <sighs> The faction? I, I don't know. I mean, I think that this was just owned by some rich dude on Moon Moon. <laughs> no, that's not true. It was, I think it was... Or was the, it the Zabi family? I'm no, it was, ti- it was Titans. Sirocco gave it to Rekowa to pilot. Oh. That was the last, that was the one she died in, basically. Spoilers oh, jeez. <laughs> All right, number eight, New Gundam. And you, New Gundam. Federation? Yes, more specifically... Aug? Well, no, because Aug is, was opposed Titans? to the... Fa- Titans? No. Well, then, for frick's sake. <laughs> I, I can give you a half point for saying Federation. It was it was the, the Londo Bell Task Force, because it was it was Amuro's mobile suit and Char's counterattack. So it was the sort of the task force that Bright and, and Amuro were heading up to to hunt down remaining Xeon people. All right. But I can give you a half point, because they, they, were, they worked for the Federation. Yeah. But that would be kind of like how Federation and Titans are separate. Okay. One could argue that those were separate. So I, you got I one, two, three, four, five, six. If I give you the if I give you the Kubrilli being Xeon as opposed to more specifically Axis, so six and a half out of eight. Nice. Pretty good. I'll do it. It's better than you thought you'd do. Yeah. All right. Especially since it has to do with names, and we all know how great at names. Well, I, I am. could have been a lot. I could have been a I lot, know. A like lot the pilot, more evil because there like were the mobile suits you only saw like once, <laughs> or were piloted by like. One-off characters yeah. we never saw again. Yeah, four. All right. So, well, she was the Psycho Gundam, which was in there, right? And yeah. you saw her many times, so that's a bad example. All right, shows. <laughs> so we have um, Harley Quinn and Clone Wars. Yep. And then we, we can talk a little bit about the Gundam we've been watching. So mm-hmm. Harley Quinn, this one was Trapped. Mm-hmm. This one was basically them trying to get Firefly's flamethrower to get into Mr. Freeze's territory. Mm-hmm. And you had the introduction of this show's version of Catwoman. Yeah. And her sort of back and forth between her and so Ivy. Funny. Kite Man trying to propose to Ivy. Again. Harley kind of warming up to Kite Man. Yeah. And the introduction of, uh, was it Dr. Trap or Professor Trap? Or I, I no, can't it remember. No, it was just, um, I think maybe it was, it was, it was one Trapp. of those. He had, he had one of those yeah. titles. Um, who's actually kind of a really evil, scary character in the comics. But here they kind of, you know, Soften. comedied him up Gee, a little bit. Gee, I wonder why. I mean, this show... But yeah. this was a fun one. It was cool to have Catwoman there as a foil for Poison Ivy more than anything else to kind of her, get her doubting the life choices she's made and how, yeah. how much she's changed in a certain direction. Yeah. And it was fun to see Harley kind of warm up to Kite Man yeah. after seeing the, how the lengths he would go to... Uh, make her happy. To make Ivy happy, right? Yeah. Even though she didn't end up caring about the ring one way or the other. Nope. It was the, the thought that counted. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was really nice. 
Yeah, that is. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I like the banter, the back and forth between the characters, especially Ivy, who is very much like the beta female in a clique led by alpha female Selena. It was hilarious to see them at lunch, and it was hilarious to see, like, how did Selena steal the jacket Ivy was wearing? I don't know, but she looks much better in it than I do. It's just so funny. The deliveries were really, really hilarious. Um, and I also liked the side story with um, the other characters where Riddler, like, escapes, but then retraps himself because he's like, here, I get three squares a day. I just getting, love to mess with you guys. Getting in the best shape he's ever been in I'm his in life. I'm in the best shape in my life. I get three squares a day. I've got electricity and whatever I need. I'm fine. I'll escape when I'm good and ready. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Clone Wars. So this is the this is the one that everyone's been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Um, and right from the beginning, you know that it's going to be a very different, it's going to be an event episode because they have, you know, Lucasfilm Limited presents as if it were one of the original movies and Mm -hmm. you have the star wars bang you know coming in fading into the distance it's it's basically you know when when sam whitworth said that these last four episodes were kind of made to be a movie Mm -hmm. like you kind of like that's the kind of thing that people say sometimes like oh man this could be a movie like but then you see the first one and you're like oh but it's they're not kidding it's paced like a movie too yeah It, it really felt like the first quarter of a movie the way the characters are introduced the way you set up all the relationships like you feel like you're about you know what i mean yeah yeah the way that it's taking its time and you don't even really get to the central conflict until the end of the episode feels like the kind of thing that would happen in about the 30-minute mark of a two-hour movie. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I heard someone say on a podcast, I think it's probably true that if it hadn't been for COVID, that I could see Disney doing like a Fathom Events thing oh, where they aired, they yeah. had all four in theaters for one or two nights as a movie event. Mm-hmm. I could totally see that. Yeah. Maybe they will do it once this whole thing is over, but um, they probably were never going to release all four simultaneously on Disney+. Anyway, Plus Because yeah. they want to keep give people the reason to keep coming back keep subscribing um but of course nothing's stopping you from watching all four once they've once they're all up mm-hmm. but yeah this is this was great i mean I, I i liked everything about this one the the sort of the last um the last time we get to see sort of um brotherly um banter between anakin and obi-wan before everything goes bad because we should say that you know like like this everyone predicted into, yeah this is taking place you know, right before, like hours before the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, all the Jedi and clones are deployed to the planets where mm-hmm. we're going to eventually see Order 66 take place on all those Jedi. Um, Palpatine has been quote unquote kidnapped and there's a big battle happening over Cor- Coruscant. So that's mm-hmm. where Anakin and Obi-Wan are off to go fight in. Um, yeah, we're, we're right there. And so the, the characters we're going to follow are the ones that, you know, weren't in episode three because they hadn't been created yet, like Rex and Mm-hmm. Ahsoka and characters that we didn't know were still or Bo-Katan and characters that we didn't know were still alive like Maul mm-hmm. but I wouldn't rule out like is this the last time is the last time we're going to see Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka together mm-hmm. but I wouldn't rule out I'm not sure they're going to go three episodes without seeing those characters again it wouldn't surprise me if we see the see Anakin at least one more time in like the final episode either animating and you know with Matt Lanter lending his voice to one of the scenes from Revenge of the Sith, like him becoming Darth Vader or whatever, or we see a scene of him in between the scenes from Revenge of the Sith. Like, I, I don't think we're going to go the final three episodes of the series without seeing Anakin or Obi-Wan again and just have it be Ahsoka, Rex, and Maul. I think we're going to touch base with those characters one more time, even if it's just to see a CG version of where they ended up at the end of Revenge of the Sith. You know, just if, so if you were watching this mm-hmm. as its own thing, you wouldn't feel like those characters just disappeared, you know? Yeah. 
But obviously, it's going to be Ahsoka and Rex's story. There's mm-hmm. that great moment where you know where she sees Anakin again. He he has great conversation with her. He gives her her lightsabers back. Yeah. Um, promotes Rex to commander. Mm-hmm. They all the clones and and the half of the five hundred first that are going to go off with her to Mandalore all paint her sort of face markings, markings yeah. on their helmets. Um, the sequence where they're arriving on Mandalore and she jumps out of the ship and makes her so way down good. by jumping from ship to ship. Her 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 combat style is always really interesting to yeah. watch because it's unlike any other Jedi we've ever seen. Yeah. It involves like a lot of flipping and rolling over things, really long kicks. Mm-hmm. The way she holds her lightsabers mm-hmm. where she doesn't hold them like this. She holds them where they're like she holds them backwards right, so they're right. parallel to her forearms yeah. and running up her forearms. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um her and and it's I've heard people say and I haven't go back and rewatched it, but I've heard people say that if you Start with the very first, I guess it was technically a movie. If you started the very first Clone Wars movie and then the beginning of the TV show, you can see her fighting style sort of evolve. Over, yeah. Like she didn't used to hold her lightsabers that way. She didn't used to fight that way. But you can see her sort of coming into her own and discovering her own style yeah. over the course of the show. Yeah. So this is really cool. And I, I saw, I heard someone else saying it. I think it's true that this is kind of like, this is full Ahsoka now. Like this yeah, is, yeah. you know, when we see Ahsoka again in Rebels, when she's fighting the Inquisitors and mm-hmm. everything with her white lightsabers, like this is, she's she's practically on that level now. Like yeah. she's sort of reached the peak of her skills. Right. Um, so that whole sequence is awesome. The way, and she lands on the platform, uses her lightsabers to, to sort of, she stabs them into the ground to, yeah. to, to stop her momentum. And then there's like the, she pulls them out and looks fierce and there's a big explosion behind her. Like, oh, that's that's the sort of stereotypical hero <laughs> moment. But, but it, still, it really so well. deserved, so well deserved, so well earned. Yeah, and then Maul yeah. shows up at the end and clearly he In was expecting trap. Kenobi. Mm-hmm. It's going to take him another, it's going to take him another 15 years or whatever yeah. to, uh, to meet him again, to get to the point where he can actually track him down. And then it doesn't, anyway. It doesn't go so well. It's about <laughs> no, 30 seconds. I was seconds. about to say. Yeah. yeah that, I thought that was fascinating, too. But we talked about that in earlier yeah. episodes. Yeah, but this is great. And, and they got three more mm-hmm. episodes if, they, if they're all of this quality. And, of course, you know, the, the animation quality. I, you could tell that you could tell that everybody from the script to the animators to the actors is yeah. putting their all into this. Yeah. Because they know this is the last hurrah for this series that they started, what, like 15 years ago or something like that at yeah. this point. Um, and some of the characters have and will carried on to other other things in animation and perhaps yeah. even live action. Yeah. Um, but this is the ending of this version, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole generation of Star Wars fans that grew up with Ahsoka as like their character. So seeing her, the culmination of her journey here, even though then we see her more in Rebels and perhaps right. even mm-hmm. other live action stuff to come if the rumors are to be believed. Um, this is kind of the the end of her arc here, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and I don't know. Like, I think I think it would be interesting to see because everyone everyone thinks she's dead after this, right? Because mm-hmm. like Anakin thought she was dead, and until they meet up again in the end of season two of Rebels, when he's you know Darth Vader, when they meet up again on Malachor, um, it was Malachor, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm assuming this is going to end with everyone thinking she's dead, and of course he doesn't mention that in Revenge of the Sith because again she hadn't been created yet, but if he thought that he just, if he thought that he had just lost her, mm-hmm. and he couldn't, he wasn't there to stop her, to help yeah. her, to save her, yeah. that super would inform his decisions in Revenge of the Sith, where he does everything to try to stop Padme from dying, right? Yes, which, which is why I think that it would be so critical to to have a scene with him, mm-hmm. even if it's like in between scenes of Revenge of the Sith, where we see him learn about her quote unquote death, mm-hmm. and then we, you know, and we see 
dramatize the way in which it's affecting him. Mm -hmm. And then we can carry that knowledge forward into the rest of the scenes of Revenge of the Sith. You know, like you could insert this into Revenge of the Sith and Mm -hmm. think, okay, now the decisions he makes in Revenge of the Sith, which might have have seemed a little extreme before, despite his love for his wife, might have seemed a little extreme, now make even more sense, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because don't forget, not only did she die, like, quote-unquote die, but she also died having been framed and ostracized from the Jedi Order, right? Yeah. So when Palpatine says, you've got to kill all the Jedi, Mm -hmm. I mean, still extreme (laughs) to say yes to that, but incrementally more believable that he would now have a reason basically to, to resent the Jedi. Yeah. Aside from like, oh, they, which is what was in the movie before, which is like, oh, we're going to grant you a seat on the council, but not the rank of master, which ticked him off because he's a man-child, basically. Right, right? The yeah. way he was played in those movies. Exactly. But the, the the character that we've come to know and love in the Clone Wars, you know, the, the charismatic, you know, yeah. quipping general, you know, the, the daredevil general who's who – best yeah. friends with Obi-Wan and yeah. an excellent teacher to yeah. Ahsoka and all these other and a caring you know confidant to Padme and all this stuff like he's so much of a better character mm-hmm. in this series than he was in the movie so any any way that you can take some of his development from this and inject it into mm-hmm. the story of Revenge of the Sith can only improve the that overall story, yeah. story. so mm-hmm. I really hope that they take the opportunity to do that because otherwise what she she she's she's um, declared dead off screen and we never see his reaction to it yeah Exactly. Until, like, you go and watch Rebels and it's like, oh, I thought you were dead. Oh, I guess he thought she was dead. Like, because otherwise yeah. we wouldn't even know that. Like, maybe he could sense her or something. Who knows? Yeah. Although we couldn't sense Yoda or Obi-Wan or his own children. So so I guess yeah. I guess maybe don't give him too many marks in that area. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I really hope they do something like that. Because it could really help. I don't know. Because Revenge of the Sith is most people's favorite one of the prequels. But that's yeah. still not a super high bar. Yeah. Um, if you can, if you can like animate some of the cooler scenes from like Order sixty six being carried out on the different planets, yep. or you know Obi Wan taking taking Luke to Tatooine, mm-hmm. or you know Anakin becoming Darth Vader, or Anakin you know slaughtering the Jedi at the temple, or something like that. But layer in some of the thing, in, interweave some of the things that we know are going to happen at the end of this, and some of the. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it also I so this is I'm getting a lot of this from the, the one of the, the only Star Star Wars podcast I think I listen to. Not to say it's the best one, just the only one I happen to listen to because I know the people on it from other things. But let's talk about Star Wars is the name of the show. And they said that they thought it was really interesting when Bo Katan um says to Obi Wan when she's meeting with Ahsoka, Obi Wan and Anakin, trying to get them to come to Mandalore and help her, she says, you know, Maul took over Mandalore mm-hmm. and murdered my sister. And then she looks at Obi-Wan and says, I thought you cared about her because, of course, they were in love at one point. Right. And he says, I did, I still do, but I can't let my emotions cloud my judgment. We've got to take this to the council, right? Right. That is that is putting a capper on that whole arc for him with yeah. with uh, Duchess Satine that he was in love with. Yeah. But it is also there, I, I hadn't made this connection, but it's also there to juxtapose him to the decisions that Anakin is about to make, Right. Yes. Like Obi-Wan had a chance to get revenge mm-hmm. on the person who, who took away the person that he loved the most. Yes. And he chose to instead follow the path of the Jedi. But every time Anakin is given that same choice, he takes the path of revenge, the path of selfishness. You yeah. know, he tries to keep everyone from dying. And if he can't, then take revenge on the people that he deems responsible. Right. Instead of taking the true Jedi path. And so oh, this is sort of not only the capper to Obi-Wan's, the closest thing that Obi-Wan's kind of had to an arc over the course of the show. Mm-hmm. Although he's never really been the focus character in terms of having emotional arcs. This is sort of the closest one 
thing that he had to that. It's not only a capper to that, but it's also there if you were to watch this and then go into Revenge of the Sith, again, it's one more way in which this helps to add new layers to Revenge of the Sith, because if you're watching that for the first time, you're saying, oh man, Anakin's making all the mistakes that Obi-Wan was wise enough to avoid, Yeah. right? Yeah. So I don't know, I thought that was a nice touch too. Because you kind of you kind of knew that was going to come up. Yeah. Because it's the one thing that those two char- kind of brings those two characters together um, is that they both cared about her. But you know, it's it's a nice it's a nice thing for him to say that, not say because you could they could definitely have written it where he's like he he didn't become overly emotional about it, but still was like, you're right, Maul is a threat. Look at the damage he's already done to people. Yeah, you know that yeah. that were important to us. We need to take him out, and they could have written it that way. Mm-hmm. But of course, logistically, you had to have Anakin and Obi Wan go after Coruscant. Right. But it would have been believable if Obi Wan had wanted to go get him. Yeah. And Anakin's yeah. like, uh, but the Chancellor. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, but that, but this way works logistically, and also it gave Ahsoka a chance to show that she has lost a lot of respect for the Jedi because yeah. she's like, you mean you have to go to save the Chancellor? You're doing this for political reasons, right? Yeah. So not only does it show that she's gained a new perspective on the Jedi, but it shows, but also, you know, again, reinforcing things that were maybe done not not fantastically in the prequels, the way in which the Jedi have become too beholden to the politicians, mm-hmm. right? They they care more about helping the politicians and fighting the war yeah. than they do about helping the little people, the kind of little people that Ahsoka has just happen, had an opportunity to be reminded of, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the last In arc. her walkabout, uh, um, yeah. So, of course, one could argue that there's probably a gazillion people living on a planet like Coruscant where literally every square inch is a city. I know. So there's more at stake here than just the Chancellor's life. Right. But still, it, it shows her her new perspective and it shows that, yeah, she's not entirely wrong. Like the right. Jedi have become too political. They don't act. Even when they think some, they either act doing something which is against their, their presumptive peaceful mm-hmm. ways because the politicians in the Senate order them to or they don't do something that they know is right. Mm-hmm. It's like even, even if they'd wanted to go, even if they thought it was right to go help the people of Mandalore, their first response was, oh, but this treaty that exists between the Republic and Mandalore, right? They were more yeah. concerned, they're more about concerned the with, than about with the documents yep. than with helping the people. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yep. and you could see both sides of it. Like it's not to paint them, you know, as the bad guys. You, right. It's completely understandable why they would say that. One could argue that they have their eyes on the bigger picture mm-hmm. than someone like Bo-Katan who just wants revenge on the person who killed her sister. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's, there's an element of truth to both sides. And I think that it's smart that Ahsoka is being positioned because this series has really been her arc more than anyone else. Now she's the one that can see both sides of it. She's the one in the middle, you know? Mm -hmm. She has the common person's perspective, but she also, having been raised her entire life by the Jedi, knows that they can be a force for good and and tries to live up to the things that they, to what they should be, if not necessarily what they are behaving like now, you know? I don't know. I think it's really, I think there's a lot of, the dialogue is, is, you know, oftentimes very sparse because it relies a lot on, you know, being Star Wars, action, spectacle, and triumphant music and those sorts of things. But it's, there's, there's really smart writing in there. In the same way, like The Mandalorian, very sparse in terms of dialogue, but the dialogue that is there tells you a lot about the world and the character. And here can even do even more because we have, again, like 15 years worth of investment in Ahsoka and even more, you know, if you were there from the beginning, 43 years of investment in yeah. Anakin slash Darth Vader and Obi-Wan, right? Yeah. If you were yeah. there in 77 when the original Star Wars came out. Um, so, yeah, like all it takes is a cleverly written line here to just, you know, like, oh, man, that says so many things about what's going on and what this character thinks and, you know. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think it's, I think it was really 
I think everybody brought their A game to this one. If they can maintain this level for the next three episodes, I think that this is going to... I've been seeing a bunch of people say this is like their favorite Star Wars in... And of course, a lot of people are saying the same thing about The Mandalorian. Yeah. But the the two are very different. That this is like their first... Their, their, their favorite like mainstream pure Star Wars. Because The Mandalorian was very different. You know, their favorite like pure mainline Star Wars since... I don't know what what these people would say, Return of the Jedi. I yeah. mean, I feel like people were really hot on The Force Awakens when it came out. There's like Star Wars is back, right? And then mm-hmm. The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker were more and more polarizing. But yeah, in in years, certainly, in four or five years, certainly, if not decades for some mm-hmm. people, that this is like their favorite thing. So yeah, I think it was really good. Yeah, and you I agree? agree. I really do. I mean, I don't have that much to add to it. I thought the animation was great. The story was great. Um, the only one thing is that the jump between last episode and this episode felt really huge in terms of in, uh, Ahsoka's character and where she was. Because in this, she seemed really together and kind of cold and had this uh, experienced air about her. But in the last arc, she was just coming off of a rather short adventure with three uh, characters that were, you know, meant to represent whatever, and she had just gone off with Bo-Katan, but she was in a very different place at the end of last episode as opposed to the beginning of this one when we see her turn around and say hello, Master, to, you know, oh, we, yeah. to, to her. I her guess you could pictures. chalk it up to either she's had some time to think on the trip, thought, which yeah. could have taken like a week or not, or, or you could also say that she's more in her element here, right? When she's in the lower levels of Coruscant, she doesn't know her way around. These are She's dealing with those two sisters who she didn't know and whose lives she didn't really understand and whose perspective she didn't really understand. Yeah. She was having to sort of like hide who she was. Whereas here, she's like, she's fighting. She's, you know, she's, yeah. she's got her lightsaber. She's fighting. She's hanging around with the people she's known her whole life. Mm-hmm. She's more in her element. And so I can I can buy an extra degree of confidence yeah. from her given yeah. given the circumstances but you're right it is it is a bit of a jump but because we're meant to understand that she met them soon after leaving the jedi order we're meant to understand that yeah i mean and so that doesn't seem like a lot of time has I passed think more in between time, then, but i think more time was supposed to have passed y- yeah between I think the so. end between her her leaving the order and so then the she, last did she arc. hang out with bo katan that entire time and were they unsuccessful in their personal attempts to remove no i think that Maul? she was i think that she was just wandering around coruscant for more than the last arc would lead us to believe i think she just i think encountering those sisters was the last thing that happened to her before she met up with bo katan but i think she must have been wandering around for weeks or months before that i would have liked to see more of that because she was wearing a yeah. different outfit than she was when she left the temple so yeah, so there ha- there's at least some time in there even though that episode kind of implied it that did. she had it just really left did. yeah i think it, it it makes more sense like there's no way that this has only been like a few days since she left is what i'm saying it and felt it can like act years as if had she passed. hasn't seen her in a year yeah. and the character models are aged up yeah. significantly uh-huh. um to the point where it's almost unbelievable because it's only supposed to have been three years between episode two and episode three. And if you compare Anakin's, Anakin, Ahsoka's character model from the beginning of Clone Wars to now, she looks like she's aged more than three years. It looks like she's gone from like yeah. 12 to 17 or something like that. Like you yeah. could argue maybe she was a short 13 and she's a tall 16 or something like that. Yeah. But I, you can kind of make it work. But it's like, man, Obi-Wan went gray really quickly. Yeah. Anakin grew that hair out really quickly and Ahsoka got tall really quickly. Like Just between last season and this season, the character yeah. models have changed. Yeah. And they've done it so that everybody looks like they can step directly into right. episode three. Yeah. Um, and so Ahsoka looks like she's now a confident, right. mature sure. young woman and not like a kid anymore. Right. Right. 
I think it would have been nice. One thing I thought that was like, ah, oh, maybe would have added that in there, and maybe it wouldn't have struck the right tone because now the the point was Anakin is like treating her as an equal. But wouldn't it have been nice if he like called her Snips one more time before huh, he left? Yeah. Like maybe you don't want to do that because you want it. You want it to be a relationship now that's built on mutual respect, right? Of right. equals. Yeah. But I don't know. It would have been kind of nice one last time. Anyway, um, so Gundam. We'll just quickly check in. So we finished the uh, 0083 Stardust Memory series, and now yeah. we're working on 0080 War in the Pocket. And you were saying that 0083 is your favorite one so far? So far, yeah. So this is a 12, ep- 12 or 13, I f- can't remember, episode OVA, which is to say direct-to-video animation, which is to say um, shorter episode count, but much higher budget than a TV series would have, but not quite on the budget of you know a, a standard movie. Although I would argue that the animation in this series was, if anything, even higher quality than in the Char's, Char's counter Yes, it was, was the only yeah. movie we watched so far. But it also came out several years later. Yeah. So because we watch those those yeah. out of order, so yeah. it's kind of hard to changes. Compare. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I would agree. I think it's interesting. I mean, I can see that depending on what you like about the franchise, if you're more interested in the like um, the 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 military aspects, the more down to earth, no pun intended, the more down to earth um, character drama and and uh, battles mm-hmm. versus the more flashy like new type stuff, for example, which was nowhere. In this, like, there were no new types in this whatsoever. Yeah. Like, I guess Haman had like one line. Yeah, <laughs> but, she did. She appeared. But aside, for, like, but aside from that, um, so if you if you don't find that that like the more I don't call it mystical, but whatever, the, the more you know highfalutin new type stuff is interesting. Then I think that's that's because like the Gundam fandom seems to be like I mean, there's many camps <laughs> in a big fandom like this, but there are fans that like the more like pure military drama. Mm-hmm. Like they would like it if every Gundam series focused on just like the standard rank and file soldiers, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's the ones that like that enjoy the more um, Mag- magical, you know, mystical, the new type of it, stuff. Like the new more like stuff, yeah. the more high minded, like oh, the evolutionary, you know, advances of human of race humans, and yeah. and you know the all that kind of stuff. Um, so I know where you fall on that. I personally, I enjoy both aspects Me of too. it. I mean, they're just they're one of the things that sets it apart. I mean, clearly heavily influenced by Star Wars. Yeah. But, um, but one of the things that sets it apart from a lot of other like mecha anime is the yeah. fact that it does. And I think what sets it apart from Star Wars is that there's nothing like the Force is like a mystical thing. Yeah. Even though the new type stuff is presented in a lot of the same ways. Yeah. It's supposed to be. It's saying something else. It's not supposed to be a mystical energy field that binds us all together, and it's right. about like the 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 battle between the you know the eternal balance between light and dark. This is like an evolutionary thing, right? It's supposed to, and it's it's where it's humanity's to be, capabilities are evolved, and right. the senses are even more attuned to whatever is going on. It's supposed to be yeah. another tragedy where humankind, in moving to space, should have achieved this this enlightenment, basically. Yeah. But instead, new types are just are just tapped by the military or artificially created by the military and sent out there to, f- to fight and kill each other, despite the fact that it takes an even heavier toll on them than on the old types because yeah. they, they feel these things more deeply and the souls of those that are lost, like, stay with them and yeah. torment them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, it's like 15 years and Shara's still torn up about Lala, right? Yeah. And Amuro, like, she literally came to him in Shara's counterattack and yeah. talked to him and he's yeah. still... She's, you know what I mean? She's like still that's there. still weighing on them, right? Like yeah. it literally that that enmity between them because they can't, you know, her new type soul or whatever can't leave them alone. Yeah, literally, you know, kills them both ultimately in the end, basically, right? Because yeah. they can't yeah. let go of that. Um, and it's just like it should. This should be the thing that elevates humankind above warfare, but instead, the the people that only know war yeah. are just 
using them as they more grist for as the a, military exactly. industrial complex yeah. and just like completely missing the point about what this is supposed to be. Those that even believe in it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. As you go back to the original series, the Federation brass didn't even necessarily believe that pe- the people on white base were new types. They're like, well, they're winning a lot of battles. Let's send them out there as a decoy and hope that yeah. the enemy thinks that they're new types at least, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I think that's always an interesting aspect. But anyway, if you if you're you know, if you enjoy the more like personal drama, yeah. like I know, 0082 is kind of like, I, I hear some people say it's like the most top gunny of yeah. them because of mm-hmm. when it came out, because of the sort of style of the the vocal tracks, the opening and closing vocal tracks are very like late 80s, early 90s yeah. rock. Um, the fact that the characters, at least initially, are, are test pilots, you know, working yeah. in a military base. Um, but obviously, it, it as it goes from there, it's, you know, yeah. the test pilot thing is mostly dropped, but... Yeah, it's I, I can I can see that. Like it's it's definitely the most modern of the, and you know, obviously as we continue, every series will become more and more modern. So if you if you enjoy more modern trappings and pacing and storytelling styles, you'll only enjoy it more and more. Um but yeah, I can see how having a like a a, a shorter episode count, you know, it's it's a more condensed story. Mm-hmm. You don't have to follow it for fifty episodes. Yeah. Um, the this story moves at a faster pace, mm-hmm. and having a smaller focus. Well, parts of it, of uh, parts of it, move at a faster pace. But what I was telling you before, why zero uh, eighty three Stardust was one of my favorites, and my favorite so far, is because it actually kind of slows down and takes time to explain some of the character motivations and spend time with the pet character so that we get to know them a little bit better um, in a way that the previous series didn't really do. And so, and so, and that matters to me. because I, I both agree and disagree with that. I, I agree that it feels a bit more intimate because the scale of the story is a little smaller. The, the, the stakes of the entire war are not riding on like... This one ship, like in the original series, yeah. and it's not like huge machinations of multiple interstellar forces coming to bear, and like, um, but but in terms of like getting intimate with the characters, like Ko, maybe Nina, maybe Gato, maybe, but I feel like after the three original movies or all of Zeta, mm-hmm. I knew more and understood more about Char, Amaro, Camille, Judo, mm-hmm. Bright. You know, mm-hmm. Sayla, mm-hmm. than I do. I mean, Ko, Ko is a, a good character, but there's not a lot of depth there. Same same with Nina. I, I would say Gato is like the most interesting character in the show. Yeah. One could argue the same was true of the original. The sort of, that Char, once you understood his motivations, was like the most compelling character in the original series, yeah. more so than any of the good guys. But I think that the, the majority of the white base crew and the majority of the Argama crew, I felt like I knew better than I do... The characters in this show because yeah. this show also had a fairly large cast yeah but because most of them hardly got any development you only really think of the few that did right which are kind of just the three that well, i just though, named that's why but i mean they got good development and they got that's good development but I, but i think that their development and it's not the fault of the writers or the actors right? it's, there's only so much you can do to develop characters in 13 episodes versus you know, we yeah. saw Char for like the original series and all of Zeta and Char's counterattack, right? So he's, you know, there's so much more going on with him mm-hmm. that, than there are with any of these characters. And so I think there's just purely a, a question of the running time. Yeah. So while I, I agree that it felt, this show felt more intimate because the cast was a little smaller and there wasn't cutting around to a million different factions in a million different places. Um I, I think I have to disagree that the characters felt more fleshed out than the other shows because I do feel like I 
I got to know the other characters and the other shows better just by virtue of the fact of spending more time with them and seeing them in more situations. Mm. But I do I do agree that some of the characters in this show are some of the are some of the better characters. Like I think that uh, I think that Gato is like one of the one of the best developed Zeon characters. Agreed. You know, pro- uh, probably second only to Shar. I always found Haman really interesting, but they they never really gave her. There was like always. They never gave her a purpose. She was a very she compelling was, bad guy, but she was very flat. Like in terms I wanted of to know. So, she was very she was very interesting. Like I always wanted to know more about her, and yeah. I know there's a lot more about her in like some of the books and, and manga that's sure, been written that's about the what, years she spent out right. in the wilderness and Axis. Yeah, but that's not what we're talking. But about. But we never really got yeah, that exactly. big because I I like wanted the Haman episode right where we see like yeah. flashbacks to her growing up and her yeah. time at Axis and yeah. what motivated her. But yeah. we never really got any of that. Um. So. Yeah, I would say that that her that she that Gato is like right up there with Shar in terms of um, the more interesting, and the zombie family was interesting, you know. But some of them were more, you know, car- cartoonishly evil than others. It was more like their infighting that was interesting, and less so any of their individual personalities. Um, yeah, and then, and then characters in Zeta, like the bad guys in Zeta, always felt pretty t- like Soroka was like a. A, co- a compelling bad guy in terms of like he's he's the guy that you you know you really hate like he's mm-hmm. like the boo hiss villain but he never really got a lot of development jared never really got a lot of de- i'm kind of lumping the yeah, all the yeah. villains together be they titans or or yeah, or yeah, yeah. whatever mean, no um we, yeah we get it yeah but yeah you know, I, I exactly think, I, mean, I think generally speaking I think a lot of Gundam series have that in common is that a lot of people feel like the the villains are more interesting than the heroes mm-hmm. i think especially since the heroes tend to be by and large, like of a type, like you know, teenage boys, civilian teenage boys who get like the call to adventure and have sure. to learn how to be soldiers, basically, right? Like that's a very common trope. Much like in Star Wars, yep. you know, you've got the person who discovers that they're force sensitive and has to learn the path of the Jedi, be it Luke or Ezra or whoever, right? Ray, sure, Anakin himself, yep. right? Um, it's not to not a ding against this franchise. It's just like that's when you're telling a story of when your entire franchise is based around exploring the horrors of war you kind of have to show what happens when you know young innocent people get caught up in yeah. the travails of war it's like yeah. you know that's one of your main moves and yeah. so it's not really a knock against it it's just it's it's the thing whereas with the villains because the villains although up to now they've been mostly zeon even amongst the zeon there's people that have different mo- like shar's motivations once you learn about them were very different and mostly diametrically opposed to the rest of the Xeon, right? Yeah. Even the Zabi family wanted different things out of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Gato was was perhaps like the most honorable um, of the Xeon soldiers we've seen so far. You know, like he, Wait, he, he cared. I, mean, he I cared. actually don't know if that's true because, I mean, he had a, he had a devotion to his ideals. He cared but, about his men too. Like right. Shar would would actively betray his, yeah, his men. Yeah, but I, I think the the knight and the more ridiculous one, the one with um, judo, um, the the last one. That oh, sure, Mashamir. Yeah, Mashamir. He was. I mean, he regarded himself as a knight and most honorable. Yeah, but he, he was a I mean, he, he was, was a fop though. He was a fop. This guy actually could back it up. Yeah. Like this this guy was the consummate professional soldier who cared who cared. This is the guy you could see being. You could buy that someone like this would believe in what Zeon is selling, right? Yeah. Like he believes in independence and and self-determination for his people, right? Mm-hmm. And he cares about his people and he'll protect them and he'll do whatever it takes to ensure their future, right? Whereas a lot of the other Zeon people are out for themselves or are backstabbing. Like because they kind of, I mean, act, the, the um, Della's fleet here kind of, they succeeded, right? Their colony drop succeeded. But even so, their, their fleet ultimately succumbed to infighting and 
like assassination, yep. right? Yeah. Like most yeah. Zeon factions ultimately do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas he is the guy, he was like the true believer right up until yeah. the end. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think that kind of sets him apart and makes him sort of an interesting different villain than the others because a lot of the others, you know, a lot of the other shows, yeah. you never like, oh, is he going to be the main villain? Then it turns out that, oh, that guy gets assassinated by this guy and this one ends up being the main villain. Yeah. But he's like, he is the consummate soldier who will do whatever it takes to achieve his goal. And once he'd achieved his goal, his once he achieved once he had ensured that the colony was going to fall, his only concern became getting his men to the Axis fleet so that they could leave yep. the Earth sphere and not be wiped out, mopped up by the yep. by the Federation, right? Yep. Like and he was willing to he sacrificed himself. He flew his mobile suit into one of the capital ships, yep. killed himself to try to buy them a little more time. And ultimately very few of them made it and they end up getting wiped out and then mm-hmm. um but yeah, I, I always found him to be, re- and amongst the fandom too, he's a very, he's a very popular, he's a very Pick popular for, villain. Uh, yeah. Villain, yeah, yeah. But I thought it was a really good show too. And this this new one we're watching now is is perhaps the most focused on because a lot of the other shows will start off focusing on civilians, but then those civilians become right. the heroes, mm-hmm. the mobile suit pilots, mm-hmm. the military. This show folk is focusing on. Although we were introduced to a Federation mobile suit pilot, though we haven't actually seen her do in anything action, yet yeah. and we were introduced to some new Xeon characters uh, you know the main one of which is supposed to be sort of sympathetic to the to, audience yeah. mm-hmm. um, the main character or characters are young children, children on yeah. this colony right mm-hmm. and they're not going to start uh, spoiler they're not, they're not going to become mobile suit pilots no. you know this guy's no. like 11 um, it's about seeing this conflict through the eyes of children basically and yeah. what war can do to children yeah. so it's it's the most focused consistently now on on the civilian perspective on things. And it's regarded as one of the most powerful series in the franchise, yeah. actually. So I'm looking forward to finishing that one with you. Me too. Then after that, we have a movie, which takes place mm-hmm. like 30 years after mm-hmm. these these events. And then we have another TV series, which takes place 30 years past that even. Wow. Okay. So we jump into basically on you know completely new setting, Territory. completely new cast. Cool. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's very exciting. Okay, so if you want to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. Ooh, what was that? A Gundam wrapping its rifle. Very good. Thanks. <laughs>